0: The Woodside Church podcast. Good morning, all. Yes, I was, some of you will know, due to preach this preach um, last week, and then COVID finally caught me. Um, but I am now all better, testing negative, so I'm here. But it does mean we are slightly out of the sequential order of these preachers. We're currently, if you don't know, in our Easter series titled Redemption. Um, And today we're going to be looking at the Garden of Gethsemane, which came immediately after the First Lord's Supper. The disciples and Jesus, um, they shared the Passover meal together, and then they sang a hymn, and then they wandered down into the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's what we're talking about today. Um, I just want to start with a quote from Charles Spurgeon, um, because his words are better than mine. Uh, So he said, Jesus himself must give you access to the wonders of Gethsemane. As for me, I can but invite you to enter the garden. And that is my prayer today, Jesus, that you would equip me to open the gate to the garden. And Father, that you would call people in and reveal to them what you have for them in that place, Lord. Right. Before we enter the garden of Gethsemane, though, I want to take you back to another garden. Because... To be able to understand Gethsemane and to enter it with the correct reverence for that place, you need to know what was being undone in that moment. And that starts with another garden. In Genesis, we read that when God created the world, he created a garden and he placed man and woman in that garden. He filled the garden with beauty and with purpose. And Adam and Eve walked with God in that place. But then in that garden, Adam and Eve made a decision they chose their own will over God's will. They disobeyed God and they were thrown from the garden into the world living with the consequences of their sin. And this is the original sin as it's called or the format for all sin because that's what sin is, it is disobedience. And often we can package it as just saying or doing bad things or... But at its root it is disobedience against God and that's why in the Psalms King David says I have sinned against no one but you God and yet yeah, our sins have earthly consequences they affect people they harm people but we need to understand that the ultimate offense is against God and God alone sin is disobedience and with every sin we rebel against God we say my will be done not your will just as Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And when we sin, there must be justice served. It has to be dealt with, an account has to be held for our sin. And in Isaiah 51 in the Bible, it talks of the cup of God's fury. It's almost as if with every sin, the fury of God against that sin is poured into a cup, ready to be poured out as punishment upon us. And this is why you might know the Israelites sacrifice animals and they did it to atone for their sins so that God's fury would be poured out and satisfied in a burnt offering and they could be forgiven. But for each new sin, a new offering was required. No one animal sacrifice would ever be enough to account for a world that is full of sin, a world full of people who choose their will, not God's will. So the offerings were repeated time and time again, and this would, as I said, it will never be a permanent solution for the problem of sin, but it was a lesson in what was to come. A pattern was created, and as you read the scriptures, you see pattern after pattern, so that we would recognize our salvation when He hung on a cross for us. Andrew Wilson, a theologian and teacher who we recently hosted here, um, says this of the garden the human story has been a long and often disastrous series of attempts to get back to the garden. It is fitting then, as well as glorious beyond words, that our access back into the garden, of all the abundance and presence and love that goes with it, was secured in two gardens. The first, which we know as the Garden of Gethsemane, reversed the decision of Eden, replacing Adam's, not your will but mine, with Christ's, not my will but yours. The second, as Jesus stepped out of the tomb just a couple of days later, reversed the consequences of Eden. So, as we pick up the story from after the first Lord's Supper, it is midnight on Thursday. Jesus has just shared the Passover meal with his disciples. He has introduced the concept of communion. He has washed the feet of the one who would deny him, the one that would betray him. And of the ten others who would run and hide after the events of the next day. The disciples, for the most part, remain determined to stand by Jesus and are probably confused by all that they've heard him say over that meal. But Jesus knows fully what tomorrow holds. Tomorrow for him brings the cross. So, having completed the Passover meal, we read this in the book of Luke, chapter 22 verses 39 to 46. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done not mine. <clears throat> then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation." In this garden, we are confronted with the humanity of Jesus. The plan has been in motion from the beginning. He has foretold of his death throughout his ministry, never with fear and trembling. He has led the way into Jerusalem with courage. Moments earlier, he is reclining with friends and singing a hymn, but now we find him on the floor and he is broken with sorrow. In Mark's gospel, we read that Jesus said to the disciples as he entered the garden, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. So what has happened to Jesus? Why is he having such a physical reaction, a deep fear and sorrow in these moments? His death is not a surprise to him, so why is he suddenly so shaken? As he enters the garden, he is confronted in the flesh with the reality that awaits him. In his commentary on the Gospel of Mark, um, William Hill puts it this way. Jesus went to the garden to be with the Father for an interlude before his betrayal, but he found hell rather than heaven open before him. I'm just going to read that again. Jesus went to the garden to be with the father for an interlude before his betrayal, but found hell rather than heaven open before him. He's met with the cup, the cup of fury, full of the righteous response of God's wrath for every sin that this world has and will commit. Each of our individual cups have been poured into this one cup that will be handed down to Jesus on the cross. No longer will it be satisfied by animal sacrifices, but instead, Jesus knows that he will take the full cup of God's fury for all the world in that one moment. He is facing the full punishment for our sins, and this puts him in agony of spirit. And as he contemplates the cup of wrath, he also experiences relational abandonment. His followers have fallen asleep. And this is a precursor to the spiritual abandonment that will come when he is separated by our sin from the Father. Jesus is alone. He is completely alone. He is alone in a way that we, because we have him, never have to be alone. An angel for a moment comes to strengthen him, but he still cries to God. He is in such agony of spirit that his sweat falls to the ground like great drops of blood. And here, in his humanity, he seeks a way out. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. In Hebrews, Hebrews 5, verse 7, we read, During the days of Jesus' life on earth... He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. To the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. He was heard. But we know that he went to the cross. Because there was no other option. There is no other option. God so loved the world that Jesus went to the cross for us. God said no to Jesus so that he could say yes to each of us in the moment that we stand before him. Jesus is the only option for your salvation. The pre-existent God lay aside his glory, not his deity, but his glory to become the mediator between God and man. To take the fullness of our debt, he had to be human. He had to be fully like us and yet completely unlike us in his sinlessness. And in the garden, we encounter the fully human, sinless saviour. There is no other permanent substitution for us but Jesus. Sorry, leftover COVID cough. I can't imagine the sorrow of the garden or the fear faced by Jesus in that place. I've known sorrow like many of us in this room. I have known loss. I have been found crying at midnight. And I know what it feels like to fall to the floor, desperately seeking to feel the ground against my body to steady me in times of panic and anxiety. But I have not known the garden whilst jesus was desperate for a way out he knew and accepted that there wasn't one he has to be true to his own word father son and spirit made a covenant to do this it was their shared will from the beginning that he should die in our place in the garden he is wrestling with his own will in the fullness of humanness not contradicting himself but struggling with the outworking of that will and the reality of submitting to our human condition. He is a human submitting to death and he is swapping the communion cup for the cup of wrath. And so in the garden, he makes the choice to say, and it is a choice to say, yeah, I want your will to be done, not mine. He is undoing the disobedience of the Garden of Eden. He chooses God's will. He chooses to save us, and he lays down his life. And this may all seem very dark and desperate, and it is, but there is comfort in this place too. We so often rush to Easter Sunday. We think of Jesus in his fully God nature, resurrected and victorious, and we think of the cross even sometimes as this really achievable feat for him. He was God. What, what is it to him to die and rise again in three days? It's, it's almost like a magic trick in our minds. But that's not the reality of what took place. And we really need, I think, to learn to spend some time sitting with him in the glory and in the grief of the garden. We need to spend time on Thursday and Friday. <clears throat> and there we need to remember that the fully human Jesus went to the cross and drank the cup for us. So there are things that we can take from the garden that will encourage and will strengthen us in times of struggle. Firstly, that we are comforted by a saviour who has suffered. Jesus was strengthened by an angel, but we get to be strengthened by the saviour. It is a glorious and unique thing that we should have a suffering saviour. He can be with us in our pain. Our God knows what grief, pain, loneliness, and fear feel like. We don't have this distant God up there somewhere that can't relate to our lives. We have a God who knows our struggles and can have empathy with them. We have a God who brings comfort from that place of knowing. Secondly, like him we should take our friends with us. He took the disciples to the garden. He was never more than a stone's throw away from, him, from them. And he asked them to be praying, to be on guard. If you are a part of this church and you are not yet part of a small group, can I encourage you now, speak to of the Welcome Team, find a small group that you can join. This is the community that God has given us. And this is how in this church we care for each other in the details of our lives. I want you to know if you are struggling today that you have a family here in this building and you have one in Great Denham, and we are here for you, we're gonna pray in a bit, we're gonna sing another song and we're gonna pray for one another and um, that is what God has given you in the church. You get the savior and you get the comfort of the church. In doing that though I would say as you move forward Look for the people in your life, in your community group perhaps, in this church certainly, who are safe spaces for you, places where you can be fully honest and vulnerable, people that you can ask to pray for you. Thirdly, we can be strengthened through prayer. Jesus called out to God in the garden. When the soldiers arrived, he was able to stand and face the cup and the cross because he had spent time on his knees calling out to God. I have been found crying at midnight. I cannot honestly say that as many times I have been found praying at midnight. We need to turn to God in times of trouble. Prayer is our greatest tool. We have a God who will hear and answer prayer. I know that sometimes it can be hard to find the words to pray, especially when you are struggling and under the weight of it all. But that is where those friends we just mentioned come in handy. Those people that you can pull alongside you to lift you in prayer and bring you before God. And again, we will pray in a moment together. And then fourthly, I would encourage you to seek God's will in your circumstance. Freedom comes in seeking and submitting to God's will in all our circumstance. We need to trust that he will work things together for the good of those who love him. The Bible warns us that life isn't gonna be easy, but it promises us that we're not alone in it and that God has a plan at work. Remember that Jesus was heard, it says, because of his reverent submission. In the darkest moments, it can seem that there is no solution. But God can make a way. God already made a way on the cross for you. We just need to listen for his voice, seek his will, trust his guidance. Jesus laid down his life and we need to lay down our will and trust that there is a better way for us within God's will. So I said, in a minute I'm going to ask the band to come back up and we're going to spend some time responding to this truth. Um, I would ask if you are in this room today and you are struggling with the weight of life, you are struggling perhaps with sadness, with suffering, with loss. Now is an opportunity to come forward. There will be people over here when we start singing ready to pray for you. We would love to lift you up together before God. Uh, equally if you're a small group leader or if you see your friend up here alone come and stand with them while they wait to be prayed for I don't want anyone to be alone in this moment of vulnerability Um, and I'm just going to pray for us before we do that Father God we thank you for the time you spent in the garden it is a gift to us Lord and I don't take for granted that that is a gift that you gave to us Lord that time We thank you that you are a saviour who knows pain and that you are desperate to be with us in our pain. I pray for those in this room now who are struggling to trust you with their futures. Give them strength. Minister to their hearts now, Lord. I thank you for what was brought during the worship, Lord. The storms that you meet us in, Lord. I thank you that every time we read of a storm in the Bible, we read of a God who meets us there. We know that you know how we feel right now and I ask you will you reveal your will to us all lord individually Your will and your way are so much better than we can imagine God I know we rest in that truth today Father God as I have opened the gates of the garden I ask now that you would do the work in those who are brave enough to meet you there surround them with your grace lord and Lord, I pray that we will all leave this space today with a fresh appreciation of your glory and of your love for us. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.